Well, good morning, Zion. Good to see you as always every week. And we are in the middle of our Names of God series. Uh, but first we have to do a little quiz. You've been working on your verse, Psalm 910. Huh? Maybe. For the for those who am I gonna do it all by myself? For those who seek your name hmm? or, is it did I get the word wrong for those who trust those who know your that's it for those who know your name trust in you O Lord for I had it down this morning So I get for trying to show off. <laughs> and those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. There we go. So, hey, the kids are probably learning it better than I. You know, if you ever get stuck on memory things, just a couple little hints. One is to say it out loud. And the other is maybe just write it out a few times. And that just gets more of your brain involved with the actual memories, memorization process. Uh, we're a little bit of uh, kind of a Hebrew helps. We've been looking at some of those. Last week I showed you Psalm 119, how it's an acrostic. Every verse starts or section uh, starts with that same Hebrew letter. And many of our English translations will tell you what that letter is or they're actually use that, again, it's a whole other alphabet that we have, so they'll, they'll just indicate that or it's divided up into sections. Um, there's another one, though, that's kind of similar I wanted to point out today. If you've ever heard of the book Lamentations, it's right after Jeremiah. In fact, Jeremiah wrote it. It's a, it, Lamentations is a lament. It's a bummer, all right? So this is not a, a feel-good section. If you're already kind of depressed, don't go to Lamentations. Um, but if you look at its uh, six chapters, chapter one and two have 22 verses. Actually, it's five chapters. Uh, chapter four and five also have 22 verses. How many letters are there in the Hebrew alphabet? 22. There are 22. Don't you know that? Yeah. So, so this one's another acrostic, only... This one has, and if you turn to Lamentations, you'll see it looks kind of different the way it's formatted on the page. But the, every line in each verse in chapter 1 and 2 and 4 and 5 starts in alphabetical order. And if you, again, you, if you translate it into Hebrew, you would see it with the first letter, Aleph. And so every line would be just in that first verse. Then the second verse it would be the second letter, bet. And then the third verse would be the third letter. I think it's gimel. Uh, and so, but it doesn't translate that in the same way. So he's writing another alphabet acrostic in his lament. Now he said, well, what about chapter three? Chapter three has 66 verses in it. So do the math. 66 divided by 22 is three evenly. I know. So what that chapter does is instead of one letter per verse, it goes three verses for each letter. And that's where you get 66 total. So uh, again, just what does, that, what does that mean in your interpretation you're reading through? It's just a lot more uh, poetic. It's a lot more style. and allows us to kind of see how really the Hebrews love their literature because God told them don't make images and so forth. So they didn't have a lot of uh, uh, sculpture and paintings in their art expression. Uh, and so they, they kind of focus their artistic energy on music and literature as well. So it's actually very creative. Well, we are going to, uh, again, look at two more names of the Word of God. We're going to do what we did before. We'll take a bit of a break to worship and in prayer 
Um, but I have a bit of a, of a confession to make. It's a bit of a secret that goes on in between my ears. And it just happened this week. I was on 422 heading to Sam's Club. I was driving under 60. It's 55. And all of a sudden, this car came up on my left. I mean, it was a blink. And you know what I thought? I hope he gets it. He didn't scare me or anything, but it was just so blatant. Sometimes when I see something like that, I go, maybe they're going to the hospital. But they were heading away from the hospital. Uh, and so <clears throat> I, hope he gets, I, hope, I hope I see some flashing lights here pretty soon. You just, uh, just kind of want people to get it when they deserve it. I don't know. He was gone so far. Maybe you know, down the road, he, uh, uh, he ended up getting pulled over. But uh, that's not really my job. I shouldn't be thinking that way on people. Uh, God has a specific name, and it's, it's the name Shaphat. Shaphat. It means judge. So that's the first one we're going to look at. I think, yeah, there it is. That's how it looks in Hebrew and then how we pronounce it. Uh, and it has this idea of judge. Now, when we think judge, uh, in our country, in our system, we have the separation of powers. So a judge has kind of that limited view where he's able to interpret uh, the laws. Well, for ancients and, and even, of course, in the scriptures, the idea of a judge could even be a military leader or a commander. That's why we get the book of Judges from but God as judge is, yes, he's upholding the laws, but he's also, he's also the, um, uh, the cop, the prosecuting attorney, and the defense attorney, and the, uh, the uh, judge who gives you the, your order, what you're going to get <laughs> for breaking that law. And because he's good, it's okay. It doesn't work out badly. But it's an idea not just of deciding legal issues, but of ruling and governing and sovereignty. Uh, let me give you a little background where this, this first comes up. It's way back in Genesis. And Abraham. Abraham was a friend of God. Abraham was someone who God talked to a lot. He gave him the Abrahamic covenant. They had a relationship. And Abraham is in the process in Genesis 18 where he's looking forward to having his son being born, even though he's old. But there's kind of this little interlude. Because Abraham gets visited by a couple of angels. One of them may in fact have been Jesus himself visiting him because there's something wrong in a couple nearby towns that Abraham lived near. And those towns were called Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you ever hear of those? Right? And the wickedness, it's the wickedness was so bad that it rose up as a great cry. And I know sometimes in movies it's portrayed as this wonderful big party and exciting and kind of decadent and so forth. And everyone's just kind of in this party mode all the time. Folks, when wickedness rises up, everyone's miserable because everyone's being victimized, especially the weakest of the community. And so God's seeing this and it's so bad he has to do something about it. Now, for Abraham, though, there's a little problem. His nephew, Lot, lives there. And, you know, every time something happens in Pennsylvania that's, a, a, you know, a disaster or a, a thing with weather, you know, like there's a, a big storm hits the East Coast and hits, you know, Philadelphia, my family calls me. Are you okay? Are you all right? It's like, it's pretty far away. I'm good. Thank you, though, for calling. Well, they, he was having the same thing with his nephew, Lot. His Lot and his family were living in Sodom. And so he hears what God's going to do, and he says, well, Lord, what if there's a hundred people who are righteous? And God says, well, I won't destroy it for a hundred. And then I think they go down to like 50 and 10. And God says, if there's even that small a minority, I will preserve it. But here's what Abraham says in his appeal. He asks this. He says, then, or actually God says, then the Lord says, or, I'm sorry, I skipped a verse. 
Abraham does say, far be it from you to do such a thing. In other words, far be it from you, God, to destroy the righteous with the wicked. To put to righteous the death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare is the wicked. Far be it from you. And here it is. Shall not the judge, the shaphat of all the earth, do what is just? You're a just God. You're not going to punish those who don't deserve punishment. And so... God says, look, but we're going to go check it out. We're going to look at it. And in verse 20, it says, Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have all done all together according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. See, God is, is, he goes and investigates, finds out the only one really righteous is Lot. And he's kind of shaky too, we find out later. And so the angels tell Lot and his family to get out of town. Just get out. And so that's when God brings that judgment. And that might seem, boy, that's awful mean, that's awful cruel. Sometimes, and we saw this in the flood, sometimes wickedness is so great that that's the only, that's the only thing that can be done to start over again. Later on in Deuteronomy 32, Moses is writing his own psalm. And it says, it's Deuteronomy 32.4, 32.4. The rock, his way is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. Uh, Isaiah 33.22. For the Lord, and if you remember, uh, we saw uh, before when it's all capitals, it's Yahweh. Uh, Isaiah 33.22. For the Lord, Yahweh is our judge, and Yahweh is our lawgiver, and Yahweh is our king. He will save us. So it's giving God, it's a show, not giving God. He already has the title. He already has the position. But ascribing to him, admitting to him, he is the one in that position as judge. It's his laws. It's his rules. And God's rules aren't random. God's rules are derived. They come from his very being. God, God commands us to love because he is loving. God commands to be holy because he himself is holy. He doesn't make just random laws. Many of them, most of them, all of them uh, are, are helpful in terms of a, a healthy society and culture. Imagine, imagine what our culture would be like if everyone followed the Ten Commandments. It would be a pretty good place to live because people are thinking more about others than themselves. But God's justice is rooted in the, his very character. I'm going to give you a few other verses if you want to look these up as well. Uh, Psalm 10, 16 to 18. Psalm 10, 16 to 18. But he faithfully keeps and upholds his laws, his very character. Sometimes, many times, it cost him to do that. When it comes to our own sin, God did not brush it under a rug, sweep it under a rug. There had to be a death paid for the wages of sin. The paycheck of sin is death. That's, that's the bad news. Everyone, everyone who's ever breathed a breath deserves death. That's the payment. But God is also love. So that's why he sent Jesus to take that death, to die in our place, to take that wrath that's due us. God did not bend his law in the slightest way to allow us to be saved, to allow us to be born again. He did that so that we could be, so we wouldn't have to face it. But he kept his own law. Uh, Isaiah 30:18. Isaiah 30:18. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. Let me give you just a few more passages. I don't have time to read them all here. Psalm 37, 27 and 28. Psalm 37, 27 and 28. 
Uh, one that might be familiar to you, Micah 6.8. He has told you, a man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice. Why? Because he's just. And to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And we also wanted to show you in these messages that while we're using that Hebrew term, these concepts of God are certainly also true in the New Testament as well. Um, Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 3 that uh, he's, he's explaining the gospel and he says, is, you know, is God unrighteous to inflict wrath on us because we're born with this sin? And Paul says in Romans 3, 6, by no means, for how then could he judge the world? He's still the judge. And I love this passage in Revelation 16, 7. It says, and I heard the altar saying, which first of all, I go, can, how do altars speak? But the altar, here's what it said. And I heard the altar saying, yes, Lord, the God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. You know, it's, it's tough to kind of figure out what's true, especially in these days. Especially, you just don't know what's really true a lot, especially as you look at things of, of politics and public figures. You don't know if you're getting the whole story or not. You don't know what's left on the cutting room floor. Uh, you don't know who's hiding information. I, I've I've been in a position a couple of times, both as a pastor and when I was a school vice principal, and you have to investigate things. You have to look into things. And I remember as a vice principal, there was, you'd hear a story and you, you, you almost have to not force yourself not to decide because as you hear things and talk to other students and look around and maybe check the cameras and all those things, you find, oh, I didn't get the whole story. And more, maybe there are extenuating circumstances that, that don't come out until later. And it's tough making the decision. Uh, the, the other thing is with, um, as a pastor, we know from Matthew 18, whenever there's someone who's unrepentant of sin and you go to them privately, then you bring a couple witnesses and you kind of do this repeatedly. And then if it comes to it, you bring that person before the, before the assembly, before the church itself. And while that sounds pretty straightforward, and it largely is, it's, it's difficult, again, to know the truth, to know what exactly went on. Uh, are people hiding things or not hiding things? It's difficult to, to make good decisions. And it's one of the hard tasks uh, that we do as elders. Unfortunately, it doesn't come up that often. But you know what? God's judgments are true. I mean, there, of all the times, of all the different things I've had to decide, I've always kind of second-guessed, are we doing the right thing? Is this too harsh, not too harsh? Ugh. But God's judgments, as it said in Revelation we just read, are righteous and true. Because he can look into our hearts. He can look in there and say, okay, you're not telling the whole story, but I know the whole story. Uh, your motives are in doubt here as well. God is not blind to injustice. I don't know who was driving that car that probably was doing about 80. I don't know who it was. I don't know if it was a man or a woman. I don't know if it was an older person, younger person. I have no idea. They were just flying by. But God knows. God sees. He sees when individuals or societies fail to treat others as image bearers. When we abuse or hurt or speak ill of someone They're bearing the image of God and we're speaking against his image. God knows that. Or kind of the the other side of the coin, but we don't think of it as serious as a a problem, is what we do, what James says, is we show partiality. That's also a poor judgment where we'll honor someone who's rich or famous or a sports star or a movie star, and we kind of put them up on a pedestal but they're, they're, they're sinners who need salvation of Christ as well. And so we're kind of, we're, we're judging, but we're judging people more positively than we should. But his judgments are right and true. When it comes to judgment, again, it's, it's, it's a little bit hard because we do some ways and then other ways we don't. Jesus said in Matthew, he said, look, don't judge. But when you do judge, here's how you do it. And from a, from a heart without hypocrisy. There are times when the church is called to, to 
go before someone or go or speak to someone about their life. I've had it done to me. I've had, fortunately, loving, loving people who came to me and said, you're messing up here. And to this day, I'm so grateful for their willingness to love me that much to tell me what I was doing wrong. And we, we have to examine that. We have to help hold each other accountable. That's one of the purposes of the church. Not that we're walking around looking to be a cop all over the place. No one wants to be around that person. It should be hard to do. Again, as a, as a school vice principal, there are some teachers who really like filling out disciplinary forms. They really enjoyed it. They were the last ones who should be doing it. They were the last ones because you should enjoy it. It should be hard. It should be heartbreaking. Uh, and the same for us. It should be hard to do that. But when it comes to dispensing wrath, when it comes to say, calling someone who's saved or not saved, only God can look at a heart. When it comes to distributing vengeance, that is uniquely God's job. He's the judge of the universe. His judgments are completely right and true. And so it's nice because it says, I don't have to do that. When I hear of what some people do to children, to, uh, to the weak, uh, to, to those who uh, enslave others, whether for, you know, pick, your, pick your enslavement, when people are so mistreated, it's a, it is a comfort to me to know God sees it. God sees it. And he knows their name. And they're going to pay. One way or the other, there's going to be death. There's going to be bloodshed. Now, maybe it'll be their own. Or maybe Jesus will, will become their Lord and Savior. But either way, that's got to get paid for. That's how serious it is. Uh, Romans 12, 19. Paul's writing about people who are getting persecuted for their faith. We don't face a lot of persecution in our country today, uh, although I would say the days are coming where, we, where I think we will be. I'm not asking for it. I'm not hoping for it. I'm just kind of reading the tea leaves, so to speak. But um, the, the encouragement Paul gives to the church, to those who are getting persecuted, he says, this is how you handle it because you'd like to get back at them. But he says this in Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourself. In other words, don't take his position as judge. But leave it to the wrath of God. Leave it to God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. He will do that. So does this mean that we just ignore injustice or let people be harmed uh, since God has this? No, we have a job too. We have something that we should do. Later on in that same chapter, and actually it's the next verse, Paul says, this is what you do to enemies. This is what you do to people who are persecuting you or the people you love. And boy, I, I've, I've read what other believers have said about this passage. And they say that's that's, this is what we try to do. I don't know how they do. Because my first, my first gut feeling is I want to take vengeance. I want to fight back. I want to get back at these people who hate me just because I'm a believer. But Paul says, to the contrary, verse 20 and 21, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. I'll get to that, back to that. And then he says, do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's the biblical response for a believer. And never having been persecuted like that, I, I, boy, I hope I could do that. I hope I could do that. But Paul uses a metaphor here. He says, when you give back goodness for the evil that was done to you, you're heaping coals on their head. And there's, there's some teaching, and I don't know where it happened, where it started, but there, someone says, oh, that's a blessing, really, to, to put coals on someone's head because the ancients used to carry coals on their head. And I thought, 
No, they didn't. That's dumb. Can you think of a dumber way to carry hot coals? Then I, so I, I think someone just made that up. I mean, if you're going to carry hot coals, you're going to use, you know, potholders in your hands. That's just dumb. It's a metaphor. He's just saying, look, when you give back goodness for evil, it's as if you are pouring coals on their head. They're going to be convicted. They're going to be, they're going to be shown for who they really are. Uh, that's what we have to do. God will take care of the wrath part. And again, I'm so glad that's his job. He will pay back. And I have to remember, too, when it comes to enemies, when it comes to people who are completely godless and would like, like me and all of us and our churches to go away, I got to remember something. The only thing that really separates me from them is that the wrath's been paid for me. I'm a sinner too. I'm just as guilty too. So it, it kind of helps have me have a little understanding of them. Uh, he took that wrath for me. Let's take a couple minutes to pray uh, as our pause and praise time to remember and thank God that he is our judge. Let's, let's first of all remember that God ju judges rightly the hearts of people. He is absolutely right on. He doesn't have any bias. He doesn't, he doesn't have things that bother him more than other things. He's not moody about it. And then maybe there's someone, maybe there's someone who uh, that, that person is hard to love. Maybe they've made fun of you for your faith. Maybe there are uh, people, stories you've heard of who've gone in and dragged Christians out of their homes uh, or, or taking their kid. We, we know stories of, of children that have been kidnapped from their, their parents. How about we pray for the strength to show mercy to them who have caused such persecution? That's an act of God. That's an act of the Holy Spirit. I can't do that individually. So if you'd like to pray out loud, we're going to stop here a moment, and I encourage you to, to pray one of these things. If, if there's a name you have in mind, it might be good just to do maybe an initial, uh, or instead of actually saying a name, just to keep uh, confidential. And then we'll sing another worship song uh, before we get to the second name. So let's bow our heads, and please, uh, if there's uh, a, a Mac to praise or to pray for strength for, to, to show mercy to someone, uh, let's take that opportunity. Oh, Lord God, your, your judgments are right and true. And nothing escapes your gaze. Of all the generations, of all the peoples, whether they are, are known or unknown or living, living far off in remote areas, whoever they may be, your eye has seen them. And, and Lord, we, we acknowledge that if it weren't for the, for the grace of Christ, then we would be in the same position. We have nothing to pat ourselves on the back for. It is all your grace. It is all your work in our lives and hearts. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for taking that wrath that was due to me, to us. And so we, I, am, I, I am grateful, ever grateful, for judging rightly. And Lord, I do continue to pray for our brothers and sisters, for those who have um, uh, uh, lost family members, lost jobs in countries like Nigeria and Rwanda, in Vietnam and India, um, China, uh, other places, and in, in even Lord uh, uh, was reading this week Mexico, how how brothers and sisters were were preaching the gospel uh, and and being a witness to free people from uh, from almost occultic practices, and yet they were they were they were thrown out of their home. Lord, we pray for those persecutors. We pray that they indeed would find repentance in Jesus Christ. And Lord, to give grace to our brothers and sisters, that's God, I, I just can't imagine that. But by your grace, may they indeed trust you to bring uh, your vengeance and, and, to, and to honor them back with, with acts of love rather than acts of evil. And that, Lord, will, will heap burning coals on their head. Maybe even bring them uh, these persecutors to repentance. And so, God, our judge, we praise you and we worship you. Let's, um, let's do another worship song together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
as we surrender daily to Jesus, we begin to see him building only what he can build in us. Eyes that see him, hearts filled with the things he loves, and lives which seek to serve those around us. His is a love which cannot be moved, and in Jesus we are given a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let's stand together. Father, show me who you are today. Fill me with your heart. All the things you love and want me to love. And empty me, empty me of the things you don't build up your kingdom. Then lead me in your love to in turn love those around me with the love of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.
Yes, there we go. Is that on? We're good. Okay. So let's look at a second name. And this one is uh, reminding me of uh, a co-work I used to have at the school. And uh, I'll change her name to protect the, the guilty here. Uh, we'll just call her Mrs. Smith. Because from time to time, I'd hear the students ask, is Mrs. Smith in a good mood or not? And because what happened is, is if, if Mrs. Smith was in a bad mood, that means the slightest little thing they were going to get written up for. Or if, she was, or if she was in a bad mood, if she was in a good mood, then she'd be joking around, it'd be a lot of fun, it'd be a, and, but it just depended on her mood. And they never knew which Mrs. Smith was going to be in there when they showed up. With God, he's not moody. He is, he is El Olam. Now, El, we saw, is God, or the Most High. Olam means he is the everlasting God, El Olam. So that's a second name we're going to look at today. And it frustrates me when theologians have to use big, long words. And one of them is immutable, immutable, four syllables, to just mean that he is unchanging. He doesn't change. It's, it's, it's this way. Think of it this way. God is all who he is always. I think we have that. Yeah. God is all who he is always. He's not one way one day and one day the next. He's always the same. He's everlasting in his nature, his character, his will. And he, he never changes. He can't, he can't be made to change. He isn't like, as we get older, uh, sometimes you know, our personality might change. We might get kind of a little bit softer or maybe a little more cantankerous or whatever. But we, we change as we get older. But God doesn't do that. He's always the same. And even, even in his perfection, if we say God is perfect, and he is, then is he more perfect later? Well, that doesn't make sense. Because if you're, if you're perfect five years ago, and then ten, five years later you're more perfect, well, that means you weren't perfect five years ago. Does that make sense? It's like he, he, he's, he's always been that way. He's unchangeable. And then to further blow a few circuits in our minds, God also made time, right? When he created the physical universe, you know, matter, atoms, electrons, stuff, the periodic table of the elements, that's when time started. That's when the clock started. He was around before that. He's the everlasting God. And he hasn't changed. He's always been of the same nature. God is all who he is always. He is immutable. He doesn't change. And all his attributes, all his, all his characteristics, they're always fully functioning at one time, especially, especially those that kind of seem like they're opposite of each other, like, like mercy and justice. Those, those seem to go like contrary to one another in my mind. But God is always completely, perfectly merciful. At the same time, he is being an absolute judge or even wrathful. He's always like that. He's able to do that. And I, and I like the example of the cross of Jesus because it's like, how can God do that? How could he be those things together all at the same time. Well, the cross is a great example because he shows us, first of all, his love for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's the cross. It's an expression of his love for us, but it's also an expression of his wrath as all of his wrath is getting poured onto Jesus. They're both there. They're both true. What happens to us and what we see both in the Old and the New Testament is we might see a particular expression of the Lord at that moment. Perhaps we see his love or stories about his wrath or stories about his holiness. And we see those examples because we can't take him all in 
as he is, because he's infinite and we're not. But he is all who he is at all times. Psalm 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or, or, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. And we think of the future, he's always going to be God, but remember, it goes all the way back before time again. He's everlasting to everlasting. Psalm 93.2, your throne is established from old, you are from everlasting. Isaiah 26.4, Isaiah 26.4, trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. And Abraham in Genesis 21.33, 21.33, Abraham calls him the eternal God. And as we looked at before, the New Testament still teaches these same things. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. In the past, today, and forever. He's all that way. God's plans for our salvation uh, has always been the same. It's always been salvation by, by faith. It's not by works. Abraham's the example of that. Again, the expression may have changed throughout generations from the Mosaic law to Jesus, but it's always been the same plan. It's just how it's getting expressed and worked out. Jesus fulfilled all that law of Moses, but it had to be fulfilled. It had to be be made right before God. But he's always the same. Even and here's another example of how he puts both these characteristics together. Years ago, we did a, uh, a series called Jesus by the Book, where we looked at Jesus, how he's portrayed in each of the Gospels and Revelation. And I thought before we got into Revelation, I always thought, oh, he's He's coming like a rider, you know. It's like he came first as a baby. He's not coming back that way. And that's true. Or he's coming back with, you know, leading host of angels riding on a horse, king of kings and lord of lords, and he's coming to, to, to bring judgment and wrath. And that's there. It's in Revelation. We see that expression of Jesus. But I had the idea in my head that that's all how you see Jesus in Revelation. And Revelation is a book about wrath. I mean, just read it. It's, it's bad. I mean, peop, people are going to experience the wrath of God, you know, these bowls of, of, the, of blood poured out upon the earth. It's, it's going to be horrible, horrible time. But you know how Jesus is mostly expressed? You know what title that... The, John records for us, for Jesus, is the most often used for him in the entire book. It's not the commander. It's not that, that one we see riding on the horse, although that's there. It's the lamb who was slain. So even in wrath, the final wrath, the big wrath, the one that's coming, the one that the judge, as we just looked at, is going to give upon the whole earth. Almost the majority of the time, he's the lamb who is slain so we could avoid his wrath. He remains true and steady to all of his attributes. One doesn't supersede the other. Okay? We, have a, we have a tendency to make God in our own image or an image that we like. You know, we, we like certain things about God. Well, I like his love. I like his mercy. Maybe you're kind of a mean person, so you like that, that wrath stuff, and so you want him to be like that. Uh, remember, I remember, I don't know if they still have them at all, but when my kids were growing up, they had Build-A-Bear, you know, at the mall. And you'd go and you'd build your teddy bear just the way you like it. And People kind of do that with their idea of God. They build him the way they like him to be and ignore the rest. You can't do that with him because he is immutable. He's unchangeable. He's always been the same forever and ever. And so we take him as he is by faith. And so there might be things that, oh, we don't like or we don't like those stories, certain stories, 
But that's who he is. And there shouldn't be any apologies for that at all. We want to present him as he is. And this is part of our application is uh, there is a a tendency to show God in a certain way so he's more, I guess, palatable to some people. Let's 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 not talk about hell. Let's not talk about wrath. And I don't mean you have to lead with that. But we have to be honest and true, first of all, with ourselves, how we present the Lord, and then how we present him to others. When I look at his, and I know I've been using wrath and love in opposition to each other, but when I think of his characteristics of a, of a wrathful God who's going to judge, and then I, then I also remember that he's a God of love, and they're both equally the same, and he's not one one day and one the other. He's all of that. You know what? You, you know what that tells me about his love? Wow, it's greater than I think it is. So really, they they kind of complement each other in their contrast. And when I see how loving he is, I think, oh my goodness! So how great is my sin for which there needs to be payment? Wow. Is the higher one goes in our mind and hearts, the higher the other one goes too. God is who he is. He is all who he is always. He is the everlasting God. Let's take a minute. Um, went a little bit longer today to just pray, uh, and then we'll do a few announcements. But first of all, let's thank him that he's not moody or inconsistent. You study the old gods of the Greeks, you know, Zeus and... What's the other ones? Helena, I think. and They're moody. All of them are moody. Yeah. But God isn't. And he will not abandon his covenant through Christ. He's not going to get mad at us someday and say, no, forget it. Let's just take a few moments to thank him and praise him. Lord, I thank you that you are always who you are. There's no, there's no changing. There's no shifting shadow. When, when, not when I want you to be, but when I need you to be holy, you are holy. When I need you to be loving, you are loving. When I need you to be correcting, you are correcting. When I need you to be um, merciful, I can call upon you as the merciful God. You are all of these things and more beyond our imagination, beyond our, our thoughts that we could fully wrap our minds around. You are indeed the everlasting God forever and ever. And we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. All righty. As a worship team comes up, just a couple of announcements. One is our kids camp, our annual kids camp for uh, uh, elementary kids is coming up again this uh, season. It's in July, I believe. And we always appreciate the help and the ministry that you are all able to do for that camp. Uh, We have some cards in the back, they're very colorful, and there's multiple ways that you can help. Maybe you would like to just get a gift card to Walmart and be able to uh, help us purchase the extra supplies and things that we will need. Uh, Or there's also some opportunities to do a scholarship, either half scholarship or a full scholarship. Tonight, we're still able to keep it. God's been good with the expenses and with inflation. We're still able to offer camp for $99 for a week of camp. That's food and travel and all those things. And it's part of the ministry of all three of our Zion campuses. So there are scholarship cards back there. Or maybe you think, well, I want to go check this out. I want to go help out there. Well, we need volunteers too. And you could work uh, we either work directly with students. Hey, if you have a lifeguard certification, we always need a lifeguard. Or there's opportunities to work in the kitchen. And so those cards are all back there. 
uh, both various you know amounts and so forth. You you put your name on one of it. Amy's not here today, but you just you would leave it back there, and and then she'll be she'll be asking you later on in the summer. I think it's, it's early in July, of hey, did you get that card or did you sign up for something? Uh, we would love to have you help. You don't have to if you're volunteering. I should say you don't have to do it for the whole week. Sometimes people just go for a day or two. Uh, it is Little Pony Camp that's out towards Punxsy. And so um, tonight it's a nice campground, uh, and it's a ministry there. So I encourage you to check that board out uh, this uh, before we leave today. Finally, we have um, Family Fun Day. We tried to do our bike ride the other week, and we would like you to just mark down May 21st. That's a couple Sundays from now. And uh, we're, we're planning another bike ride. If the weather is bad that day, too, we're going to do something indoors, but we will do something. Uh, and just, we don't know, we don't have our, our rain plans fixed yet. But after church on that Sunday, please reserve that.